Hi, this is Jim Lobato, and I'm president and founder of a company called Performance Group. You're listening to the podcast version of a program that originally aired on the BizTalk radio show. I started BizTalk so you'd have access to today's leading experts about growing your company and yourself. BizTalk is produced by Performance Group. At Performance Group, we work at the front end of a company's revenue stream. We find the salespeople who generate the revenue, and we provide onboarding programs that get them doing that sooner. Our passion is aligning talent with opportunity. That's why we're known as a Salesforce development company. Enjoy the program. On our program today, we have Don Yeager, award-winning leadership speaker, seven-time New York Times bestselling author, and longtime associate editor for Sports Illustrated. While Don's books have sold millions of copies, and he speaks to hundreds of audiences each year where he shares the story of his personal battle with cancer, he's principally sought out to discuss lessons on achieving greatness, learn from his first-hand experiences with some of the greatest sports legends in the world. Throughout his writing career, Don has developed a reputation as one of America's most provocative journalists and has been invited as a guest to every major talk show from Oprah to Nightline. Today, we are fortunate that Don is willing to share his insights from his book, Greatness, 16 Characteristics of True Champions, an in-depth discussion on the concept of greatness, what it is, what it is not, and why it's worth pursuing. Don, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you so much. I, I'm, I, now I get to add, uh, you know, Oprah to Nightline to BizDoc. This is great. <laughs> well, you know, given the given the title of your book, I was planning on having a great interview. <laughs> well, you know what? I would be disappointed if it was anything less. <laughs> All right. So, so Dad, the first thing. When I saw your book, and I usually I must have been going through an airport. I think that's where I get all the the good book ideas. Uh, I was attracted to this because of the work we do at Performance Group, which is mainly working with leaders of organizations and working with sales teams, where performance is always you know on the line every day. So the first thing, just for our audience, so we get a, a reference point here, um, the word greatness. How are you defining that in the context of uh, the book you put together? Sure. I think so. I, I, it's fun because uh, when you get engaged to write a book or, and someone asks you to, to share stories and, and define a subject, uh, the upside is you get to you get to pick what the definition is. So uh, in this in this situation, I have chosen uh, through years of discussion and, and thoughts and, and, and lots of debate with people to come up with my own definition of greatness. And it is it's based on a lot of these great stories and legends and lessons and, and, and really kind of it comes down to rather than saying greatness is uh, only this it's sometimes it's about greatness what greatness is not as well and those are the those are the things that we kind of talk about in that opening chapter there where we're you know where we're making sure we're mentioning the greatness is about um, you know, it brings other people along with them greatness is, is never done in a, in a cocoon it uh, requires that uh, that there's a greater relationship there with others. Greatness is not about you know being willing to do anything to win. And there are a lot of people who think, hey, all that matters is the is the end result. Well, that's not true. That, that is just not true. Greatness it is about uh, that willingness to be able to uh, to do the right thing at the right time and to have a uh, and, to, and to not see it as one moment. There are an awful lot of people I know who to point to one great moment in their life and say, you know, for that moment I was great. Well, really? No, for that moment you did well. <laughs> you know, but greatness is a lifestyle. It's not it's not achieved in a moment. So, Don, you've had a unique perspective from being able to interview some of the top athletes in the world. I was always intrigued when 
And when Wayne Gretzky, you know, the great hockey player, retired, they asked him that question, you know, what made you truly great at what you did? And you know, to paraphrase Wayne's response was, well, I just skated to where the puck was going to be. And I right. thought, well, yeah. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's great. If I'd only known that, I could have been a great hockey player. But <laughs> so, no, but there's a vision. There, there really is. I mean, what I think, you know, in the and you get it. I mean, what Wayne was really trying to say there is greatness um, requires vision. I mean, you have to have, um, you have to see a picture that 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 maybe some people don't see, and uh, and that is as truly as. It's not just an enormous gift, but your ability to be able to um, to understand what's like good leadership. And great leadership is seen around corners, right? It's seen it's seen challenges others don't see, and preparing yourself for them. So much of the same lessons are, are right there. You know, both what Gretzky's sharing there, and what almost every great leader I've talked to has shared as well. So, but begs the question, though, in your opinion. When you're looking at people who have achieved greatness, well, how much of this is natural talent versus developed skill? Uh, I, I mean, clearly, you don't. I, I can't play in the NBA, for example. I don't have the natural talent to play in the NBA. So there is that natural talent factor. I would actually say it's about a 50-50 proposition. Almost every great coach, every great leader I've talked to on this subject has said it's about a 50-50 proposition. you got to have that skill, but... Once, but there are an awful lot of people out there that have a skill that wasted. It's um, once you've got, once you've developed or worked or honed um, a talent, then the rest of it really does come down to your willingness to do common things uncommonly well. That's what most people don't want to do are the common things. I really like how you've broken this down. Uh, the whole book and the book we're talking about is Don's book, Greatness: The Sixteen Characteristics of True Champions. But you broke it down into four distinct areas how they think, how they prepare, how they work, and how they live. Now, and I also thought that was interesting, you put that together. I don't think it's by accident that you put that in that sequence. It's almost like a pyramid they build on. So is it? Oh, okay. So uh, share with our audience the first part of that then. What is it about how they think that separates those from who are good to those who become great? For your audience, let me make sure that I'm clear that what this book is, is it's a compilation of about 2,500 interviews that I've done over the course of my career. As a young journalist coming out of college, my father, uh, an enormously bright man, actually said to me, you know, gosh, Don, by the, just by the profession you've chosen, the opportunities you're going to have, you will end up in the company of some extraordinary people, and you need to ask them a question that you will benefit from, not just your audience not just the people who are going to read your work. You need to ask questions that benefit you. Pretty powerful, right? So I began really early on as a, as a young writer asking these winners if you could define a characteristic or a reason why you were able to do what your competitors could, what would that characteristic be? What would be the, the thing that you developed that allowed you to go, as you pointed out, from good to great and then stay there? And, and the number one answer that comes up is in that top category. It's that they learned at some stage to learn how to hate losing more than they love winning. They, they expect to win. Winning is kind of what it maybe doesn't even give them the thrill that it gives some people because they expect to win. But losing, losing at anything leaves a mark. That idea that you have to learn to hate losing more than you love winning is a, is a mindset. It's a how-you-think moment that is the very – it's 
baseline principle. And when you talk to Michael Jordan, which I did on this subject, Jordan had this great discussion in which he ultimately says, the way you learn to hate losing is you take excuses off the table. That's the challenge. Most of us have excuses for everything that doesn't go our way. We blame somebody or a referee or, a, a, you know, a, a coach that didn't give us what we wanted or a manager or an owner or whatever it might have been. And Jordan said, you take excuses off the table. You learn to hate your failures because they're yours, right? You, you quit blaming other people for everything that goes wrong, and you will learn to hate losing if you're at all driven. Yeah, it's, it's one of my favorite interview questions when I'm interviewing sales candidates, which is, do you like to win or hate to lose? Pick one. Yeah. And it always leads to a great debate, by the way. As I've asked many, uh, so I'm talking about the highest achievers in that world, right, that world of sports. And you ask them, and there is no doubt that it's about hating to lose. Interesting. Uh, it's been my own personal experience that that's the answer that the truly great ones choose. And how much of this then, in how they think, comes down to mental toughness? Without question. It, mental toughness is, and that is a learned skill. That's a learned skill. Oh, really? You can learn to be mentally tough. Absolutely. Why do you, um, why do you say that? You know, I, oh, well, gosh. I mean, almost every team in, in, uh, in professional sports today in, in, uh, engages mental coaching. Mental coaches who work with players on... Uh, on visualization, work with athletes on seeing moments and, and putting themselves in the moments and preparing themselves for uh, their reaction long before the moment occurs. I mean, that idea of how to be mentally tough, how to how to see a moment before it arrives and preparing yourself for it is now a regular piece of the coaching strategy of almost every of almost every great team out there today. So without question, I've, I've sat in the company and spent some time. And there's a, there's a business mental toughness coach named Steve Siebel, who I've spent a lot of time with. I mean, you listen to the way he's able to kind of help define and teach some of that. It's, it's just great stuff. It is learnable every franchise. Has. Now, there's some people who don't want to learn it, and ultimately you'll find they will go as far as their talent allows them to go, then will catch up. You have to continue to hone this skill. Thanks for joining in on the conversation. If you want more resources and what it takes to be great in your profession, they can be found out on our website, biztalkradioshow.com. That's B-I-Z, talkradioshow.com. We have leading experts in all areas of business and personal development. You can find a topic that you're interested in on one of our podcasts. We're speaking to Don Yeager. We're talking about his book, Greatness, the 16 Characteristics of True Champions. And, Don, as you've talked to some of these people over the years, how much of this is the fact that early on they kind of knew they were going to be great, or did they discover it as they went through their path? Um, you know, I think what – and this is, for example, I'm a, I'm a father of a young boy. I've, I, young, I've got two young children, a four-year-old son and a three-year-old daughter. And, and one of the things that I'm excited about going through life with them uh, about is – is letting them try everything in hopes that they'll find something, right? And that's too often we, 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 we butthole people and we try to tell them you got to do this, you got to do that. Or um, I was talking to a professor yesterday in, in, the, in a pretty prestigious business school, and she was talking to me about the number of her students who are only there because, you know, some parent told them they, you know, no, I know you want to go be a teacher, but there's no money in that. You need to go 
uh, you know, you need to go be in business like like Dad or whatever it is. And you're not if you don't love what you do, you're not going to ever be really good at it. We I think we all accept that. And unfortunately, too often people don't get enough opportunities to go find what they to what they love and. And when I think about this, early on, almost every one of these folks played a lot of different things before they identified what they loved. And what they loved is what allowed them to be great. You talk about in your book that uh, the great ones prepare, and they must prepare differently. So what is the difference that they prepare for that enables them to be great? A big piece of it is, you know, uh, John Wooden used to spend two and a half hours every day preparing for a two-hour practice. You know, he would spend more time preparing for the event than he would actually spend executing. executing it. He also made notes of every practice, everything that he did in every practice, and he filed those notes away so that next year, when he got to the 53rd practice, he could pull out the notes from the previous year's 53rd practice, see what they did, see how, it, how that thing could progress, and make adjustments or decisions on how he's going to pre- what what he's going to make sure he teaches and covers that day. So, you know, when you get into to great practice habits, it's about being willing to do the little things, right? You know, paying more attention to detail. Most of us, you know, you got a big speech, you might you might practice it once. Well, how many times do you, do you really need to practice to be good? Um, no one would go out there and, and, and shoot a free throw for the first time in front of a national audience. We we need to practice. We need to have a, a, a more diligent habit of training ourselves to be ready for those moments. The, the truly great ones, is it because they're part of a team and they have to go to practice, or do they do things on their own that get them there? Actually, I think you'll find that the truly great ones are the first ones to practice and the last ones to leave. You know, Phil Jackson, the, the coach of the Bulls and, and the Lakers, used to say the best as a leader, his greatest job was to coach the best player on the team. He said, if I could coach the best player on the team to the proper place, everybody else would want to, would, would follow. And he said, you know, there's nothing like having your best player also be your hardest worker. You have your best player, your most talented salesperson, be the first one in the office every day, the last one to leave every day. Uh, people are going to figure out that, that's a, that there's a model there for success. And you'll also quickly be able to figure out who, who it is is just there riding along and that you ultimately will probably need to separate yourself from if you're a leader. As you've gone through and, and, and conducted these interviews over the years and, and you're asking that critical question, which I think was a great question about you know, what made them stand out, who's the one that surprised you the most? Gosh, that is a great question. Um, I would probably say um, Steve Young, the quarterback from the 49ers, uh, Super Bowl winning quarterback from the 49ers, who had, you know, ran to step in and the footsteps of the great Joe Montana, very difficult. Steve Young used to talk about, about the importance of trusting his instincts. And, um, and if you were well prepared, right, and you knew that your teammates were equally well prepared, he said that he was an undersized quarterback. And obviously, with the size of offensive linemen and defensive linemen coming at him, uh, Steve Young spent an awful lot of times he threw the football, not ever being able to see where it was ultimately going to land, because he just had to trust that his receiver was going to be there. That that was the 
that was the way the play was designed. That was the way the, you know, uh, and, and, and adjustments would be made properly. If he threw the football in the right place, he had to trust his instincts because of his, his level of preparation. And, um, and that lesson was kind of interesting because, you know, we always think, gosh, would you ever throw it someplace where you don't, where you can't see what's happening down there? But, but ultimately, um, that's, that was his. That was his sign of greatness. Was that he was able to? He was so. Um, he knew so much about what was really supposed to happen, and he could see in advance the play where where things should occur. That he knew that if he if he did the right thing, threw it in the right place, that success would be on the other end. Yeah, you just you're not just chucking the ball up there, right? So, what is it about how they work that you would want to share with our audience that would differentiate them? I think when you look at how they work, you know, the truly great ones, they have a, a higher they have a higher level of, of personal discipline than most of us. They have a many of them have a morning ritual that um, that is driven by, you know, some kind of a, a time period every day where they, they govern that time period and feed themselves something that allows them to work at a higher level. And by that I'm talking about what they read, what they listen to, and who they talk to, who they watch. There's something every day that it gives them a an advantage in their work life that uh, that, I, that I think is pretty powerful. You know, I also think they uh, they don't do it just for the money. Most people that I know that are really successful don't do what they do just for the money. People that I would define as great, great. Remember, we're back to my definition here. Don't do it just for the money. They do it because there's a greater fulfillment in it, far greater than uh, than, than either a paycheck or even wins and losses. There's a self-satisfaction that comes from doing the very best they're capable of doing. What surprised me in your book, you added to the, this greatness quotient, how they live their lives. Is there a story that sticks out in your mind of how some of these great athletes led their lives that you'd want to share? Sure. Walter Payton. Um, I had the good fortune to live with Walter for the last 10 weeks of his life while he was dying to write his autobiography. I working with Walter and he made the point. He said, you know, that, uh, and he, he actually, ironically, pulled out a John Wooden quote while he was talking to me one day and said, um, and the quote was, you cannot live a perfect day without doing something for someone who cannot repay you. You cannot live a perfect day without doing something for someone who cannot repay you. And Walter said you know, he really believed that uh, in order to be great, you had to have charity as a central piece of your daily living. Yet on a regular and consistent basis, and not just that one one year annual gala thing that you show up for, but on a regular and consistent basis, you have to be invested in other people. And um, and I love that because it really shared with me that that in Walter's opinion and the opinion of many of the others, in order to be really great, really great, you have to uh, you, know, you have to have that sense that you're you're not the center of the universe. There are uh, there are more important issues, and, and and you have a platform often given to you by your position, what you've what, what you done, and what you do with it, how you do it, how you use it for the good of others. So, as Walter said, really define your greatness. There's probably people in the audience like myself who remember watching Walter Payton when he was performing out on the field. And if you study anything about how he prepared, he was just a fanatic about you know, off-season. There really wasn't one for him. He always prepared. You had the unique experience of seeing him in the last part of his life, what did you walk away from that experience with? Um, just 
uh, a, um, uh, a level of integrity. You know, uh, he never cheated uh, the game. He didn't cheat himself. I mean, he was he had a had a humility that was really incredible. I mean, Walter Payton loved to make everybody in his presence feel comfortable. And how often are we in the presence of greatness? And because we know that this person is extraordinary, we're awkward about it, right? We're, oh, my gosh, what do I say? How do I handle myself? What do I do? Walter Payton got it. You know, he got it. And so he reached out to make everybody around him feel comfortable, always, always. And um, that always stood out to me, that everywhere we went, this guy was without question the greatest man in the room. And yet he would never he would never be the one to tell you that. He believed that the best way to, to be interesting was to be interested in other people. Thanks for joining in on the conversation tonight. We're talking with John Yeager about his book, Greatness, 16 Characteristics of True Champions. Other insights on being great can be found on our website, that's at biztalkradioshow.com. That's B-I-Z talkradioshow.com. Also available on the Performance Group website at pmgllc.net. Don, I want to take you back to when you started your career as a journalist and you had the opportunity to meet some of these great athletes. And if you could go back in that time, how did you get comfortable, like you said, approaching these people? Well, I mean, it, it had to be awkward at the beginning. Yeah, my good fortune was it, it was a job, right? It was my job. Uh, but, yeah, there's no question your heart races the first few times you're sitting there with somebody. And my, my whole goal has always been I don't ask fawning questions with people. I don't, I don't, um, I, I engage them in conversation and I'm well prepared, you know, to go back to some of our principles. I'm generally well prepared for every interview I do, I do in a way that allows me to, to let them know I care about them. Right? I didn't come here just because this was my assignment. I came here because I wanted to know. I, I mean, I'll, I'll, I know where they grew up or what their, you know, what their favorite thing to do was as a child, and you know, little things that might that might have uh, that that they may not believe that everybody knows. And I think that if you show, no matter how great the person is, if you show a genuine interest in them and their and, and some pieces of life, people. Barriers come down, walls come down. The business leaders that I have worked with and the ones I've run into and met, I've learned that deep down they truly want to do something great, whatever that great is in their world. Don, if you were sitting down with one of these business leaders, what's the one piece of advice you would give them about helping them achieve that greatness? Um, I would tell you, uh, John Wooden said it to me once. He said, you will never outperform your inner circle. He said, show me your friends, I'll show you your future, right? And uh, what, what a powerful lesson, really. I, I Govern with an iron fist the people you have in your inner circle and understand that it's your job to have, a, to have an inner circle that's better today than it was yesterday. Your job is to constantly be improving your inner circle. That, is, that doesn't mean constantly adding new people. It means sometimes adding to the people you have, right? Doing something that makes them better, which allows your inner circle to grow at the same time. So it's um, a really powerful lesson, I, I think. And Coach Wood shared it with me in a way that was that was life-changing for me. But that paying attention to who you have in your inner circle, uh, both in your professional life and your personal life, um, will have a huge impact on your on your 
uh, opportunity for greatness. Don, is is there one question today I should have asked you that I haven't? Uh, you didn't ask me about my golf handicap, <laughs> which, which my backswing. Um, so, no, actually, this has been a, a wonderfully enlightening interview. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to discuss these things. Uh, so what's next uh, for Don? What can we look forward to? What's your next project? I'm uh, finishing the book right now with Michael Jordan and the Make-A-Wish Foundation, which is pretty incredible. Sitting down with top athletes who grant wishes to children, um, talking to each athlete about what wish they granted most changed them. It's really incredible. And then my next project is my first big non-sports book, uh, which will be the uh, authorized biography of Stephen Covey. Uh, his family has asked me to write his biography. So, very exciting. Uh, on a side question, since uh, you cover sports and, and a lot of what you do, where do you think professional and collegiate sports are headed? Well, I think, sadly, um, too much of the focus is on those, those folks who cheat the game, who cheat the, themselves and the integrity of the game. What my experience is over 25 years of doing this is that there, you know, the number of of athletes and coaches who are uh, who remain committed to the to the principles that we that we all believe in, the number of them that are out there that do that still maintain that that as a central focus is, is still really high. We just don't talk about it as often because the stories you know that, that make the headlines are the ones that are about those who don't. Yeah. We seem to be uh, obsessed with the the people who are doing the violations more than the people who are doing the right things. Well, Don, thanks for taking time with us and sharing with our audience. And if they want to learn more about the book or uh, other works that you've done, where would people go? DonYeager.com, D-O-N-Y-A-E-G-E-R.com. Don, thanks for being on the program. I'm honored. Thank you. This or other BizTalk podcasts may be downloaded by visiting our website, biztalkradioshow.com, where you can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at BizTalk1040 and like us on Facebook. If you want to learn the strategies finding and getting performance out of A-player salespeople, contact Performance Group by calling 800-950-9509 or visit us on the web at pmgllc.net. This has been your host, Jim Lovato.